Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I will give, speaking of himself, will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Everybody say amen. Lord, we pray in the few moments that we have together that you would illuminate yourself unto us and that you would, as we have sang this morning, crown us with confidence and give us blessed assurance in who you are, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It is important to note from the very beginning that this is really not a story, as I've already mentioned, about the Samaritan woman, but it is rather a, a story about Jesus. As we look at these 30-some-odd uh, verses, we, d we, we recognize that it mentions Jesus' humanity and that he's tired and that he has sent his disciples off to go get food, or at least they have decided to go. He's sitting at the well of Jacob, the well that he has given to, that he gave uh, to his son Joseph. It's mentioned here in the text. The Samaritan woman uh, comes up, and they begin to have a discussion in which Jesus initiates. We'll talk about uh, a little bit of that in just a moment. I'm going to focus on the part of Jesus being the living water. Now, in doing that, we want to recognize that there's significance, and I submit to you that there is significance in both uh, the literal and figurative meaning of living water throughout the Bible to the point that I am confident that I do not grasp the fullness of what God says when he says that he is the living water. Um, I practiced all week to give you the Hebrew pronunciation and just decided I'm not going to do that. Uh, but there is the Hebrew word has a hard K in it. Um, I probably could do it, but I decided not to show off. Thank you for laughing. I was hoping you would think that was a joke. But it, it should be significant to you um, that in Genesis 1, we start out at the very beginning, and here we are, no, no less than verse 2. It talks about in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, the earth. And, and I don't have time to preach it, but he talked about the heavens. Just say heavens. So I'm confident that there are dimensions in which that we do not know of, figuratively, literally, and spiritually. Just say amen, because that is not my sermon. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. I believe that, that as we look at that, it talks about even like who we are without Christ. We're formless, we're empty, we're covered in darkness, and yet we're in deep water. How many have ever been in deep water? I think it's also significant to point out that the last chapter of the Bible, uh, which only has 21 verses, you just dip on down. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 22 says, the, uh, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. I'm convinced that our rivers here in the valley, the only reason that, that they have lead in them is to make sure that we know that there's a more holy and clear and more crystal water. But other than that, we got some pretty nice waters in the, in the, in the rivers. Just say amen, because then I'll get stuck preaching on rivers, and that's another sermon. But if you f it says, it continues in verse 2, it flowed down to the center of Main Street. And then if you just skip on down to verse 17 in Revelation, it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let anyone who hears this say, Come. Let anyone who is thirsty, let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life. Just say amen. A good amen always helps me move on. So I think it is significant that both at the beginning of this book, 
we call the Bible, and at the end, we're talking about waters. We're talking about waters of the earth that are without form and that the darkness shine upon them. And then yet at the end, we're seeing waters of the, of the earth flowing, and main, flowing through Main Street and saying anyone that will drink, let him experience this, this life. Just say amen. So we find, and I'm going to work really hard to only talk about one of them, but there are four sor- sources of water from God. There are four not touched by man, sources by God. They are wells that you don't have to dig. They're water that you can receive. Two of them are literal and two of them are spiritual. Number one, we get it from rain and snow. That is literally water from heaven. Um, They have tried and they continue to try, and I believe there are places where they do different things to attempt to manipulate the snow um, and to put the conditions there. But especially from a biblical standpoint and for a practical standpoint, that rain and snow come from come from heaven. And I know when you're shoveling your driveway in the middle of January, that maybe doesn't feel like snow came from heaven, um, but it did not come up from the ground. Number two, spring. I don't know um, how many of us has ex- experienced this because most of us go to a tap and turn on a faucet or we go to a store and buy it in a bottle. Um, but there are natural living springs that gurgle up out of the ground. Those of us that are over that old enough to remember the Beverly Hillbillies, old Jed made himself wealthy because what what bubbled up out of his his ground was black tea, Texas gold, oil. Um, but you can have all the oil and all the money in the world, but if you can't drink water, you're in trouble. Uh, uh, Ryan and I were talking just before church and different things about food, and I don't know if you've learned this in your life, but you can be hungry, and hunger can come in waves and go. Like, if you're hungry for food, like, um, if you have a problem with food, and I'm, 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 I'm somebody who's most of my life has, and I acknowledge that, is that I used to like to say uh, somewhat jokingly, but now I look back somewhat sad, if you eat temptation, it'll flee. To re- in reference to food, I would say if I just walk by a piece of cake, it would just latch right on, and there's five pounds, right? Um, and I would often think, well, I'm hungry, so I might as well eat because I'm just going to be more hungry, so I might as well eat this, because if I don't eat this, then when I eat later, I'll just eat more. And often when you just eat this, you're eating what you don't really want to eat, or that just makes you more hungry, and you end up eating things you shouldn't eat, and you don't, you don't later turn down the meal. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't understand full, you understand done. I mean, I'm talking about. Okay, but the truth is, is that when it comes to food, Hunger goes in waves. If you're hungry, not starving, that's a different, like, that's a different thing, okay? But if you're hungry and you don't eat, it will pass. Now, it'll return. Now, if you're thirsty, it doesn't pass. It will lead very quickly into a state of dehydration. Just say amen. Man can live a lot longer without actual food than man can live without water. And so, number one, rain and snow. Number two, springs that are natural springs that come up out of the ground. And just as a frame of reference, just because you bought a bottle of water that says spring on it doesn't mean it came from a spring. Oh, man, could I preach there. This is me resisting the temptation. Okay, just like hunger, it'll pass. Okay, number four, which I'll, I'll, I'll give you now, number four is you. 
Jesus says later in, the, in John chapter 7, that out of you will, f- will flow rivers of living water. And I'm going to resist the temptation of preaching on that and tell you that uh, hopefully that will be somebody's job when they get to John chapter 7. And we're going to focus on Jesus saying that he is this living water. Now, if I were to title this message from the perspective of the Samaritan woman, I would say that I would title it, I'm in deep waters and I don't have a bucket. Or as my grandma used to say, I'm up a creek and I ain't got no paddle. I've never been there. And one of Jesus' first comments to the woman is, could you draw me a drink of water? And she's flabbergasted that he's even spoke to her, and we'll deal with that in a moment. But her first thing is really a good old-fashioned, I can't do it. How many of you have discovered you can't really live holy? You can't really live without sinning. You can't really live the, the way you'd like to live. The Apostle Paul said, I, uh, there's these things I want to do and I can't do. And then, and then well, there's this constant struggle between who I was and who I am. Anybody else fight that, that struggle? Okay, you're here this morning in spite of yourself, not because of yourself. Just say amen. There are four things that we know that nearly every theologian or every commentary or every study that you would do on this chapter of the Bible would agree upon. Number one, that this is a Samaritan woman, and this, there are huge issues between Samaritans and what we'll refer to and what the Bible refers to as Jews, even though we can make an argument that Samaritans are a different type of Jew, but we're not going to have that discussion this morning. I'm so proud of me. I've made it right through the introduction, and I didn't go down all those other paths, but I sure wanted to. Uh-huh. So there's this, there's this argument to the point that I didn't even realize until studying this particular scripture that the Samaritans are to- toting around their own Torah. They're toting around their own customs. They're doing church different. They're doing sacrifices different. Everything is different to the point that there's, there's very little, if any, discussion between Samaritans and, and Jews. We are familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan. How many know the Good Samaritan? Well, to most Jews, that, that would be an oxymoron, that there's no meaning that it, it can't be both uh, good and bad at the same time, meaning that there's no such thing as a good Samaritan because in their mind, Samaritans had rejected the things of God. They were doing things their own way. And that story, just like this story, the, the main point, if you don't grab another thing, is for you to know, to jump on a little bit of what our pastor said last week, the walls of church won't fall in when you come to it, no matter how bad you've been. If you come to Jesus, you won't be rejected. That faith coming alive in you will always return unto God. There isn't a sin, a thought, a situation, a haughtiness, a richness, a poorness, an addiction, a striving, a teaching, a learning. There isn't a thing that we could do to be rejected by God except to reject God ourselves. That's it. Now, typically, I'm, uh, well, I guess famous to some, notorious to others, infamous, um, that often I get up here and I, I preach about living better and letting the power of God come in your life so that you can live that you can live better and I do believe that that is a byproduct of being Christian is that you will live 
what I believe would be a, a better life if you attempt to live the, the, the moral and disciplines clothes and dis- discipline codes, and by discipline I mean prayer, church attendance, things of those nature, it will lead to a better life. Now, I didn't say a richer life, a more famous life, a tr- trouble-free life. I said, I said a better life in one that has living life. Now, in that, that doesn't mean that there won't be struggles. And this woman is is definitely got struggles. She's a Samaritan woman at noontime digging out, going to the well to get water. And this Jewish man speaks to her and she's confused. He's asked for water and she doesn't have water. She doesn't have a bucket or rope for him. And then it hits her. If you if you look here in the verses, she, she basically says to him, why are you even talking to me? I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew. So the second thing that everyone agrees upon when we look at this is she's not just a Samaritan. She's a woman. Now, before you throw stuff at me, I'm just telling you what it was like in Bible time. I'm not saying I did this. Like I love women so much. I've made three of them in my house. And thank you to this side who laughed. (laughs) She was a woman. So on top of him speaking to a Samaritan, he's speaking to a Samaritan woman. And if I dare say, he's speaking to her on the social media of his day at the well. Like their Facebook, their TikTok, their YouTube, right? This is the place where, like, you have to go, especially if you, you live near or around the city and you haven't dug your own well. This, you have to go get water. Like, this is a daily task, a regular task. She's there at noon, not necessarily a prominent time to go get water. It's, it's typically the worst part of the day to go get water because when you go, when you go get it, you've got the trip there and the trip back right in the middle of the day. We might learn a little bit here to point number three is that everyone agrees that this woman's got issues. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you got issues? If uh, there's somebody over there, I'm going to raise my hand. Uh, Now, the truth is, if you're breathing, you've got issues. I know that because you're still in a body we identify as human, right? And this woman's got issues. And Jesus at one point says to her, well, why don't you go get your husband? Now, I'm going to take that as sarcasm and my ability to be able to use sarcasm because Jesus knew good and well she didn't have a husband. And she said, well, I, didn't have, I don't have a husband. And he says, that's right. You've, got, you've had five of them. And the man you're living with now, which is the way it reads in New Living Translation, he is not your husband. And all of a sudden, he has got her attention. And then lastly, we understand, as I've mentioned before, the fourth thing, is that this story to both Jews, Samaritans, and everyone would know that if Jesus, both in the living flesh and as deity, would speak to a Samaritan woman, then this living water must be for all. Say amen. David speaks a little of this in Psalm 63. Often when we Uh, look at the Psalms, we don't always look at the introduction, but before we even read Psalm 63, we can see that David is in the wilderness or he's in a dry place. Uh, Verse 1 starts off with, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly thirst for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and wearied land where there is no water. 
Psalms 42. It says, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living water. The problem with mankind is that we will fill our thirst with something. I don't know if you've ever run long distance, but they make these little gel packs that are basically little bursts of sugar for while you're running. And every so many miles when you run a half a marathon or a marathon, they have these stations. And these stations, you can get water, you can get Gatorade, and in some of these races, you can get these little gel packs that are supposed to give you um, bursts of energy. Now, what they started doing a few years ago is putting in these gel packs coffee. They started putting, well, not coffee. They started putting caffeine. And caffeine can give you a jolt. Somebody say amen. Some of you are looking at you now, and I know you're on that jolt. <laughs> but at the same time, if you're not careful, it can dehydrate you. So the very jolt that you need takes away from the very source of water in which that you're supposed to have and be able to, to finish the race. And so if your level of caffeine outweighs your level of water and hydration, you will collapse by the end of the race. So if you've ever seen, and not to make fun of, but if you've ever seen anyone in a long-distance race stagger around like they are a drunk man, it was not because they stopped off at the bar in the middle of a race. It was because they ran a race without the sufficient water inside their body to get them through the struggle of a race. I could, I could preach for a while on, the, on how you need the water to run the race. If you don't have the water to run the race, that you will literally collapse and fall just a few feet in front of the finish line is possible. It is, it is impossible to run a 26.2 marathon without... In, without encountering struggle. Now, I know some of those, some of those runners from Africa uh, and some other places can run those marathons fast, but I can tell you that it has taken hours and hours and years and years and, some, and in some cases decades of, of, of practice to be able to run 26.2 miles in that capacity. But even they, if you notice, will grab some water along the way. Oh, I don't think you caught that. They will grab some water along the way. Jesus wants you to receive him and continue to receive him and continue to walk in the living water that is his. He has not promised you that you're going to run from the beginning of your life to the end of your life without a detour. He's not promised that there won't be trouble. In fact, if you read the New Testament, you'll find that there is blessing and that there is significance and there is anointing in a thing called suffering. Now, I didn't expect you to shout there, but it's still true. Now, if I'd have said there's anointing for healing, we might have shouted a little harder, and I get that. It kind of reminds me, uh, seven or eight weeks ago or so, I started going to the gym. Now, what's significant, if you don't know this about me, is that I am, uh, by vocation, I am a public school teacher. Okay, I see some students in, the, in here. You could have at least said amen or hoo-hoo there, all right? So in the summer, I could wake up 6, 7 o'clock in the morning and take three hours to talk myself to go to the gym before I got there because I wasn't required to go do my vocation. Okay, now that school has started, if I'm going to make it to the gym, I have to be there when it opens at 5. And I've come to tell you, I have not made it. 
every day at 5. I've made some days, and my wife brought to my attention that every time I'm working a machine, you've got this little towel where you wipe it down so that your anointing doesn't get on someone else. And my wife describes that every time I finish a machine, I finish it like this. And then I go to the next machine. Because consciously and unconsciously, there isn't anything about lifting weights that I enjoy. I don't enjoy it at five. I don't, I don't enjoy the pain. I, I secretly and now openly hope that it's a week that I'm going up in weight because now I only have to push it five or six times per rep instead of ten. There isn't anything about the gym that I like. And if I start talking about other people and their behavior at the gym, I'm going to be canceled. Because those that are fat at the gym make me feel bad about myself. The ones that are thin at the gym make me feel bad about myself. The ones that are working at the machine that I want make me feel bad about myself. The ones that are lifting more weight than me. There isn't anything about the gym that I like. I don't like it at 5. I don't like the press. I don't like the leg. I don't like anything. And at 50, none of it likes me. Now, I do, I do like that I lost four inches in the waist. I do like that, I'm not allowed to show you, but I do like that some muscle has developed. Some fat has been scared away. Now don't be saying I got plenty of other fat, I know I do. My intellect is aware that everything at the gym is good for me. Everything about it, lifting, getting out of the house, sweating, all of that is good. But nothing inside my brain goes, woo, it's another great day to go to the gym. I could not loathe it more. I hate it with a passion. I like the results. I like what will happen if I stick with it. I'll roll out of bed tomorrow about 4.30, and I will hope that, that Mrs. Shorey still sleeps so I can blame her that I didn't go today. I hate it. And then you step on a scale. And I think this is a perfect example for how spirituality works, too. Because if you first start working out, and those of you who know me know in the last, like, two years, I've lost, like, 80-some-odd pounds. Don't clap, because I had to gain it to lose it, so that's all right. But when I started lifting weights, I went six consecutive weeks, and all I did was gain weight. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, when I stepped on the scale, I did not say pleasant things to it. I was not, bless you, scale, for telling me the truth. Oh, this is wonderful. Right? Oh, I'm so glad that I'm going to the gym three days a week and I'm gaining weight. <laughs> Woo! And I'm going to tell you something I didn't even plan on telling you. And, and during that time, that six-week period, I only ate one meal a day. I only ate from five to six or four to, four to five or three to four every day. And other than water, I didn't have anything other than that one hour. And I still gained weight. 
and I was furious. Now, intellectually, I'm aware of what happened. What happened was fat, we'll just make an analogy here, fat that is roughly a pound looks like this. But muscle that weighs a pound looks like this. Fat just attracts more fat. In fact, if you don't eat enough calories, fat will go, oh, no, we're not going anywhere. He's starving himself. And on top of that, I have proved to be true that if there are weights in your body that you've been stuck at, let's just pick 120 pounds and laugh because that's probably my right toe. But if you were 120 pounds for, say, five or six years, the next time you come, I'm sorry, it's so hard not to hit this. I almost dropped it. Uh, if you are 120 pounds for a long time, the next time you get to 120 pounds, they call it a marker, and your body will hold on and say, we don't want to let go of this weight. We don't want to let go of this fat. Now, the powerful thing about muscle is the more muscle you have, the more you can eat because the more it will burn. Fat doesn't burn anything but years off our life. I mean, I want buffets, feasting. I want, I want, I want, I want to go to a buffet and just stay all day. I want ice cream. Oh, I'm about to have a holy fit now. I, who likes cheesecake? Woo! But I went through a time of, of avoiding those things to the point poor brother Ed was in the back of this very, very building. He was, in, he was in the cafeteria area there, the kitchen, and he opened up this beautiful-looking cheesecake. And he said, oh, Craig, do you want this? And I acted like a former crack cocaine addict who ju just been offered a snort and went, oh, God, Ed, no! And not because I didn't want it, but because I knew that I did. And the point is, this is the life of us as a Christian, not just as a sinner. Jeremiah 2, look at what he says. For my people, say my people. Say it again, my people. He's not talking to heathen. He's not talking to those that weren't, that weren't wise to the things of God. He says, my people have done two evil things. They've abandoned me and the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. That sounds like me at the, at the gym. You would think, now, work is a different story. When I get to work, I'm good. Like, I can't remember too many times in my life that I showed up for a day of work, whatever the job was, and thought, I'm leaving here in an hour. For me, 95% of the battle is to be prepared for work and to show up for work. But the gym... I have to talk myself into every machine. Like, I'm not going to do that machine. You know, I got bad knees. Oh, I hate that machine. I got this knot right in my shoulder. I hate that machine. And then I try to do two machines at the same time. Now, let me explain it before you go. How is that possible? Is you do a rep and then you rest. Oh, I don't think you grasp that spiritually. You do a rep and then you rest. Or could I say... You drink the living water, and then you, ha then you have to work out. 
you experience Jesus and then you have to work out. And then he has to work it out in you. And so for me, so I try to get two machines so you, you do these reps and then you rest. And then what I try to do is during that rest period, go work out another muscle so that I can get out of that godforsaken place as soon as possible. And for the record, it's a wonderful place, and the people are nice, and the people at the gym are nice, but I hate it because it is a place of moving. And as some of you know, I had COVID pneumonia and almost died, and most of the, most of the weight groups and muscle groups, I had to start at the lowest setting, like 20 or 30 pounds to start. And that's really nice. You know, some 12-year-old comes by and is pushing 80, and you're at 30 because you've lost every piece of muscle that you've had. And, and it's a place to really find out where you're at physically. And usually where I'm at is wanting and lost and not happy. Galatians 5 sums it up like this just before it starts talking about the fruit of the Spirit. It says, again, speaking to the Christians at Galatia, I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Now, I know we don't talk about this a lot, or specifically I don't talk about this a lot. He's not talking to people who don't believe in Jesus. He's talking to a church. Like, if you're here this morning, there's either some woman who talked you into it, or you're trying. Say amen. But you just spent all week with you, and you know that you're wretched. I'm wretched in my mind. I'm wretched in, the, in my de- I mean, just let one of my kids do some stupid thing again in my house, and you will see how I can fly off the handle real quick. Thanks for not saying amen, girls. I appreciate that. Like, I have to hang out with me, and I don't like working out spiritually or physically. I love standing and worshiping the Lord and feeling all the doodads, but none of those help me on Monday when some kid in first grade cusses me out. None of that helps. Or when I have to pay a bill for somebody that didn't do a job that they were supposed to do. Maybe I'm the only one. And then sometimes I'm really grateful that my mind stays in my mind and that it's not broadcast to you. I am a Samaritan woman stuck at a well, and I have no cup, and I have no rope. I am in deep waters every day of my life, and I can't do it on my own. He says in verse 17, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. I want to be 215 pounds and mildly chiseled. Mildly. Mildly. I want to look like the rookie who's my age and my height on the TV show, The Rookie, minus the hair. He's 215 pounds and mildly chiseled. That's what I want to look like until I go to your house for barbecue. And then I want barbecue. I want to walk and spend calories, but I'd really rather watch a football game. This is the struggle. And so it is spiritually. 
No one here this morning under the sound of my voice says, I would like to go out after church and sin incredibly well. No one sitting here this morning, or at least I hope not, is saying, I cannot wait to get out of the parking lot and go cheat on my spouse. No one is sitting here saying, I hope that I can go walk out of here and before the day is over, fulfill whatever addiction, craving, or problem it is that we have. Now, what I'm about to say is somewhat facetious, but somewhat true. I used to say I love fat people because when they're like me, when I can see them coming, I, can, I know what their problem is. You skinny folk, I know you got a problem. I just can't see it coming. Because the New Testament says lay aside, every, lay aside the weight that so easily besets you. We all have things that we deal with. And I want to tell you that in those moments, Jesus is still saying, drink from the water. Here's the three things or the four things that Jesus does in this story. Jesus speaks to her. Now, there's a couple stories in the New Testament, like the woman with the issue of blood and, and who touched and reached Jesus, and those stories are powerful. But most of the stories in the gospel is more about Jesus reaching out to people than people reaching out to him. Just say amen. Jesus speaks to her, and he gives her a word. If you can just get a word from the Bible, I'm healed. I'm saved. I don't always feel saved. Oh, I expected a little amen there. But I'm reminded that he who has begun a good work is faithful and just to forgive it. Forgive it. I'm reminded that the difference between someone serving the Lord and someone that's not is like the same thing that's the difference between a swamp and a river. It's the borders. It's not, and I know maybe this won't even be popular, and maybe I'll even get a rebuke later, but it's not that we don't sin. It's that the spirit within us, when we do sin, will convict us and lead us and guide us into the truth. And thanks be unto God, we can go to God with God, and God forgives us because of God. I can't earn it. I can't preach it. I can't testify it. I can't work it. It has nothing to do with how wonderful I am. It has everything to do with what Jesus did on the cross and if I'll receive it. Now somebody will say, well, if you start going and preaching all that grace, people are going to run around sin. People are already running around sinning. You're just going to give them a license to sin. I'm a big old fat sinner and I have no sin license. Now, we don't talk like that because we're concerned that you're going to think that means I'm having an affair or I'm doing some terrible thing. When I say I'm a big, fat sinner, it's because that I understand to be guilty of a little of the law is to be guilty of all of the law. That when I understand that when I know to do good and don't do good, to me it is sin. But it, and, and I'm certainly not saying let's strive for the things of the flesh because if they did, I'd still be 80 pounds heavier and other things spiritually and physically. But what I am saying is that on this Communion Sunday, we are to be reminded that it is his sacrifice that justifies us and his spirit that leads us into truth. And as we walk in the spirit, we must recognize if we were honest with ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, at times we sin. Somewhat jokingly, I thought I'm not going to sin today. I'm just going to stay in bed. And then right about 11, I realized, great, I just fell into slothfulness. 
It's impossible for the human nature since the fall of man to not sin. I can't do it on my own. But there's these living waters. I told myself I was going to be scholastic and quiet today, and that didn't work too long. Number two, Jesus asks her to do something she can't do on her own. He said to Nicodemus last week we read, you must be born again. And Nicodemus went, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. And he says, and I read it sarcastically, do I enter my mother's womb again? And if his mother had been in the room, she would have slapped him at the thought. And Jesus said, of course not. God is constantly asking you to do things that you can't do. You can't be holy. You're not going to come pray some prayer and all of a sudden just be able to be holy. That's not how it works. I don't know if you have some sort of hobby that you enjoy that requires you to get up in the morning. But when I was a full-time pastor, uh, pastors would often get together about 5 o'clock in the morning and be the first ones on the golf links. And I'd feel bad. I'd be sitting at the tee, and I'm like, I don't get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and pray. I'm not that excited about 5 o'clock prayer. And the times that I do get up at 5 o'clock in the morning prayer, something like this will happen. Some of y'all looking at me, holy, you're not praying at 5 o'clock in the morning either. Because <laughs> you're flesh. Now, some of you have disciplined yourselves, and that's great. But wherever you've disciplined yourself, you're going to find there's another area lacking. That's just how humanity is. I heard a man, if I said his name, you'd know who he is. But I heard a man say that somebody asked him, what should we tithe on? Should we tithe on the gross of our income? or the net income? And I thought his answer was the best answer I'd ever heard in my entire life. He said, the data suggests that less than 2% of all people in America that attend church tithe. He said, so you big fat liars, you're not tithing on the gross or the net. (laughs) And isn't that something? That would be like, well, should we read the NIV? Should we read the King James? Should we read the New Living? And statistics would show that most of us aren't reading it at all. The point of today's message is for us to not feel overly guilty about ourselves. But if it applies, then you're welcome to wear that. Because the third thing Jesus does do is he brings her to the face of her reality. Now, I'm guessing a woman at a well who's had five husbands. Now, here's what we don't know. We don't know if she had five divorces. Now, keep in mind, back in this day, it would be impossible for a woman to demand a divorce. It would have to be the man. Right. So she didn't marry five men and then leave them. She married five men in some combination of they either passed away or didn't want to be her husband anymore. And now if you read it the way that it is worded in the New Living, she's living with a man. I know you thought that only started to happen in 2023. I know you thought that people didn't live each other outside of wedlock in Bible day. I know you thought that everything was holier and everything was better, and if we could just go back to Bible time, we'd all be holy and we'd all be wonderful. If we didn't have Facebook, we, people wouldn't leave their wives. No, they still had the wells. They still had human nature. They still had sin. They still had problems. And it's always about making sure that Jesus is a focal point in our lives. Amen. Jesus makes her come to face with her sin. Now, here's what's different from this woman and many of us. She comes to face with her issues. Now, if you read the rest of the story, she later eventually says, 
who's told me everything I ever did. So what I'm about to tell you is just, mis- is just Craig Shorey's guess. There's no, there's, no, there's no biblical place to find or no history to, s- to find this. I don't believe that he just talked to her about her relationship with men. I don't believe he did. I believe that he mentioned other things in her life. And John, as he tells this story, doesn't have to say the other things. Because as far as anyone reading the story, they already know she's a no good Samaritan. And again, don't throw it at me. I'm just telling you the culture, not me. She's a woman. She's not married. She's living with a man. She's been married five times, some combination of widow or death or divorce or something. And here she is at noon hiding out to get some water. And this Jewish man speaks to her and tells her of all these sins in her life. He, John already knows this. He tells the story that anyone from that day would read this story and go, Whoop! If he'd save a Samaritan woman, there's a chance for me. And I'm telling you, there's more than a chance for you. There's the gift of God for you. There's belief for you. There's power for you. I'm not telling you you're going to walk out this door and all of your addictions are going to miraculously walk away. I'm not telling you you're going to walk out that door and you're never going to sin sin again. In fact, if you get in the car first and some of your other families make you wait, you may sin before they get to the car. Because we're Americans. We're all in a hurry to get somewhere and do nothing, and we are impatient to get there. Just say amen. But here's the last thing that Jesus does. He gives her hope. He says, you drink this water, and you won't be spiritually dehydrated again. But wait, I'm probably going to sin again. Yeah, yeah, you probably are. And I I know that's not typically the way that we would address this, but, but it's the reality of our condition. And again, I'm not saying choose sin. I'm not saying it's okay to sin. I'm not saying go out and do something stupid, right? When I was a basketball coach, especially to boys, every Friday practice or game, one of the last things I would say, uh, stay away from girls this weekend and don't do anything stupid. Oh, and just in case you didn't know, they're not mutually exclusive. Because I knew that if we didn't have a Saturday practice in the morning or we didn't do this or that, there was no telling what they would wander into left to their own devices and how it would not only affect, it would affect the team but could affect their lives. And so I'm not suggesting that you run out and do something stupid, but I am suggested that this is a really great place to be if you are stupid. Because I'm stupid. I've been stupid. I'm going to be stupid again. If you don't think you're stupid, just go ahead and look at how you spent your money last month. Most of you will get a real clue. Well, I may have to go out the side door this morning. The point is that in the midst of our stupidity, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of drinking from the wrong fountains, that there is the hope of Jesus Christ. I'm going to attempt to get there quickly, but... Uh, I'm just going to say it real quick. Often we get stuck in three categories in how we think we say our, save ourselves. Number one is what they call moralism. The more good I do, the better I am. And I've literally, literally heard people say, well, if I do more good than I do bad, then I'll make it to heaven. No. No. Could you imagine Adolf Hitler standing before the throne of God? and go, Look, I only killed so many Jews, but look at all the Germans I protected. Like, could you imagine that math? It's absurd. You can't 
your goods can't outdo your bad. You can say you're sorry, but you can't undo a deed. But it can be washed in the living water of Jesus. You can't be good enough for how good enough you're not. Number two, speculation. And, and just, just in case you didn't know, I have wandered in and out of these three things uh, for a good chunk of my life myself, so I know what I'm speaking about. Number three, speculation. There are those who think the more they know, the more holy they are. And I want you to know it's good to know. Like if you can articulate what justification is, if you can articulate what sanctification is, if you can articulate the grace of God, which is Jesus, by the way, if you can articulate all these Bible doctrines, that is absolutely fantastic. And I believe it would help your life. But it's not a requirement to be washed in the water. I don't see anywhere with this woman at the living well, uh, at the at the at the well, all of a sudden ends up in eight weeks of Bible study, which I'm not degrading. I'm, I want to always be in Bible study. We should want to learn, but it isn't the thing that saves us. Just say amen. The thing, now, knowledge can help us walk in a better light and can help us do better, but the only thing that saves us is Jesus himself. And then last, especially in the circles that, that I grew up in, this is probably the, the hardest and worst of the three, is that we constantly feel like if we can experience something, then I will reach a new depth of spirituality. Okay. I have a 19-year-old, a, I can never keep, is she 15 or 16 now? It's terrible. A 16-year-old, I was going to make a joke about her height, so I decided not to. I'm moving on. And a 7-year-old, okay? They are all at different stages, okay? The 7-year-old isn't any less or any more my child than the 19-year-old. Now, the 19-year-old, not to give her a big head, but most of the time, she's got her stuff together. She's got less than we told them when they were young. We were still paying for our college. We're not paying for their college. So she's got like a year to go. She's working full time. She's got stuff done. Uh, she's got, she is not only not in debt to go to college, but she's being paid to go to college while working full time. And there's a bunch of things she got, she's got going on. And the seven-year-old doesn't know how to pour cereal. No, I'm not joking. Like, I got one, and each one is just as much a daughter as the other. The different, the only thing that matters is, do we receive Jesus Christ? And are we willing to, to do, through the power of God, him to allow his spirit to wash us and work through us? Now, if when my 7-year-old becomes 19, she still can't pour a, a, a cereal, guess what? She ain't going to be eating cereal. So, yes, there has to be growth, but there is no power, there's no extra credit, there's no deeper this or that because you think you got a word from God. The word that really matters is the word of God we call the B-I-B-L-E. As the worship team comes, I'm going to try to land this thing because i got at least three more hours of worth of stuff. I'm just going to say this. Thankfully, we look to Jesus, who did the work for us, who is the living water. God's law and God's judgment satisfies 
our moral requi- the moral requirement in Jesus' death alone. This woman at the well is utterly and completely forgiven through the grace of God. The new reality that comes to us today when we receive faith in Jesus is just like this Samaritan woman, is that the word of Christ, Jesus alive in us, is enough. I say to you this morning, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're planning to do, no matter what the circumstances is, drink of this water today that is called Jesus Christ. We are not forgiven by our good deeds or how much knowledge we have or some secret special experience, but rather we are connected by one thing and one thing alone, Jesus Christ. Every sin, every shortcoming, every evil deed, every evil thought, the things I wished I could do if you wouldn't catch me, are washed away in the living water of Jesus Christ. The gospel for you today in this story is the freedom enjoyed in Christ Jesus where he stands before you today and says, believe in me, be forgiven of your sins, and sin no more. Pastor, I thought you said you're going to sin. You are. It's statistically, you're going to. But in that moment, we are reminded of John 14, 6. Jesus said, I'm the way. That's the moral forgiveness. I'm the truth. That's the knowledge. And I'm the life. That's the only experience we need. Now, gain more knowledge. I'm, I'm not demeaning any of that. If we talked about all the things I studied, you'd know I studied more than I should. But what I want us to get on this Holy Communion Sunday is that it doesn't matter how unholy you feel right now. It doesn't matter. What matters is, will you let him make you holy this morning? Will you, let, will you drink of the water? The end of the story is beautiful. She goes back to the village. And in my mind, people she was hiding from and says, hey, there's this man down there at the well who told me everything about him. And that woman went back to her village, and they were so excited. They talked Jesus into staying two days, and many came to the forgiveness of sins through Jesus before Calvary even happened. How much more that today, now that his death, burial, and resurrection is alive. Will you stand with me? I'm going to pray while I'm praying. If you feel led, you speak to the Lord. And let him wash you. Let, let faith come alive in you. This woman had a hard time believing, but she eventually got it and received Jesus. Lord, we pray this morning. I pray this morning. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Lead me not into temptation, God, but deliver me from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Wash us in the living water. Forgive us afresh and anew. May we walk in the crown of confidence. May we walk in the blessed assurance that it's all you, all the time, in Jesus' name.